Is this something you can relate to? Some of you are really bummed out about your background, and I understand why. It was a difficult. You made some bad decisions. You went down some hard roads. And given the opportunity, I'm sure all of us would say, oh man, I wouldn't do that again. And if I was given the chance, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. And I know that sometimes the enemy can overwhelm us with a sense of just being failures because of our past. But let me tell you, God will redeem your past. And God does redeem our past. And although we don't need to glory in all the sin that we've committed, we glory in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we live in today. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. For many years, Babe Ruth was known as the king of strikeouts. He led the American League in strikeouts five times, and over his career struck out 1,330 times. Of course, we remember him more for his success than for those failures, right? Imagine if he would have thrown in the towel after his first strikeout. He would have missed out on something great. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see that God can even use our failures. He doesn't write us off when we fail. And aren't you thankful for that? If you need a good example of that, consider the Apostle Paul with us in Romans chapter 3. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You ever come to a place when you're reading a book and you begin to talk to the characters or you talk to the author? You're like, you get so engrossed in it. You're like, oh man, this is cool. And I wonder what's going to happen there. You might even turn a couple chapters to see what's going to happen. Now, and maybe not with a book, maybe at a movie. I've seen this happen at movies. When you're sitting in a movie and it's a big suspenseful thing and, and it's really, the music is low and the lights are turned down and some guy will say, don't go in there. I think they've seen the movie before, right? They get so caught up in it, and you start talking to the screen, you start talking to the book, and in your mind, you're anticipating. Sometimes it happens when you're arguing with somebody, and you're trying to anticipate what they're going to say and what argument they're going to come up with, and you're ready, and you're getting your words all together, and you're, and you're just so caught up in what someone else is thinking. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing through Paul the Apostle in chapters 1, 2, and 3, really in the book of Romans. As he writes, he's anticipating how how people will respond to what he's written, and then he'll ask the question for them. And we see, look at verse 1, what advantage then is the Jew, or what is the profit of the circumcision, much in every way? So Paul not only asks the question, but he also answers the question, and he's leading us through, as a rabbi would, in dialoguing about the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ and how salvation is available to anyone who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, being convicted of their own sinfulness, repenting from their sin, turning to Jesus Christ. Paul's talking to us. He's dialoguing. Being a rabbi himself, he knows that there would be a rebuttal to the things that he proposes and that there would be a question and answer format. That's how the rabbis discuss things. They would put out questions and answers, and that would be the, the totality of their dialogue. And so that's what he's doing in this section in these chapters. And we're reminded it's neat that Paul had that background as a rabbi because God used him with his background. 
You need to know that. Some of you are really bummed out about your background, and I understand why. It was a difficult. You made some bad decisions. You went down some hard roads. And given the opportunity, I'm sure all of us would say, oh man, I wouldn't do that again. And if I was given the chance, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. And I know that sometimes the enemy can overwhelm us with a sense of just being failures because of our past. But let me tell you, God will redeem your past. And God does redeem our past. And although we don't need to glory in all the sin that we've committed, we glory in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we live in today. And so Paul, he didn't have to say, oh, I wish I wasn't a rabbi. God used him that way. And God's going to use you in what you've gone through and what you might even be going through right now. Don't get so hot, hot, caught up and hooked up in your past, condemning yourself, beating yourself up for it. See, a lot of our past, we've gone through it, we've passed through it, because our past is going to become someone's present right now, and you're going to be able to minister to someone where for you it's their past, but for them it's their present, and God hooks you up to bring them to a place where now they can have it in their past, you see. And so God wants to use us as we are. And we're reminded that's an important truth to understand. We don't have to become something else to be used of the Lord. We don't need to become someone else. You know, sometimes we'll look at, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so, then God could use me. Or I wish I had this, and then God could use me. The truth is, God, he desires to use you as you are right now. Any changes, any additions, any subtractions, he'll be faithful to do in your life. All he's looking for is availability. You know, a lot of times we think, well, God's looking for abilities. That's what he needs. And I don't have many abilities, so God's going to pass me over. I won't be used by the Lord. I, I won't have any fruit for the kingdom. But it's been said, and I think wisely, that God isn't looking so much for abilities as he is for availability in our lives. And some of you just haven't been available to be used by the Lord. Whether it's been here in this church and every opportunity comes in a bulletin, you go, no, 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 no. Or it's been at work, you haven't been available to be used at work, to be used as a vessel for the honor of God or at home or whatever it might be. And today is a day where God just says, I want you to be available. I want you to step out. I don't want you to have to be asked specifically to do something. I want you just to do it and respond to what I've been trying to tell you for six months, six years, or however long it's been. And I like that because Paul had this background as a rabbi and God totally used it. And we don't want to get into the place where we think, well, I'll never be used of God because I'm not perfect. <laughs> think about that for a second. So, okay, here it is. This is the top of our bulletin. In order to be used of God in this church, you must be perfect. Like, oh man, if we had to be perfect to be used of the Lord, the gospel would have never left Palestine. We would have never heard it. It's not perfection. See, God, he's going to perfect that which concerns me, the Bible says. And we all have, we all have issues in our lives that the Lord wants to shave off. He wants to change in our lives. But you need to be available. If you're not available, if you're not, your hands aren't out there, your feet aren't available, your mind, your gifts, and your talents, then they sit dormant, waiting for your availability. And the Holy Spirit, over and over and over, make yourself available, make yourself available, make yourself available, make yourself available. And again today, that's what he's saying. And if you're willing, then God will use you. He'll shape you. He'll mold you. But if you're not willing and you're resisting the Holy Spirit, then it's just miserable. Don't you know what it's, do you know what it's like to resist the Holy Spirit? It's miserable. Oh, my way is better than your way, God. No, it isn't. No way. 
And it opens a huge door because God will use us. God doesn't always call the qualified into service, but God always qualifies those he calls. And some of you, God's just working in your life right now. And you need to make yourself available in a small way so that he might, you might be faithful to little things. God will be, make you ruler over many more. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2. This is to all of us, that we are his workmanship. That's us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Paul, he's painting a dark picture here, a dark picture of man's condition apart from Jesus Christ. If you haven't seen it yet, through all of our studies in Romans, a person, a man, a woman that lives apart from Jesus Christ is in bad shape. If that's you right now, I'm just here to let you know on behalf of God and his great love for you, he wants you to know out of love that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you're in bad shape. Now, you may realize that, you may not realize that, but it's important for you to understand before you leave that Jesus Christ is calling you into a relationship with himself. That he is, by the Holy Spirit today, convicting you of sin and drawing you near to him. So that at that point where the decision opportunity comes, you will make a decision for Jesus Christ. Not for this world, not for the things of this world, not for your own agenda, but for him. And it's a dark picture apart from Jesus Christ. He talks in chapter 1 to those that are living completely apart from God. And he says, they, you need God. In chapter 2, he talks to those that are religious. And he says, yes, even those that are religious need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, you could say he talks to the super religious. Those that are really caught up in religion. Specifically in context to the Jewish people. Those that were in covenant with God, those that had participated in the circumcision. And before you think that doesn't apply to us today, consider this. There are those that are born into the church, born into godly families, that never make a decision for Jesus Christ because they trust in their homes and in their religion and in their church and not in Jesus. It's not just them then, it's us now. We need to be careful. It's not religion. You can be in church your entire life and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You could read your Bible every day and never bow the knee to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You can go through all the religious rituals. You can do everything that the church tells you to do and still be separated from God because of sin, because it's never been dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ in your life. But all that can change today by bowing the knee and surrendering your life. And so the Jews, what they were given, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They actually rejected Jesus. And that's where he's taking us, Paul is, on verse 3, as we pick up where we left off last time, verse 3. For what if some... Did not believe. What if some of the Jews did not believe? Well, that's true. Some Jews, many Jews, most Jews did not believe in the Messiah. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? That's the question he anticipates. I love how the NIV translates this verse. If you're holding an NIV, verse 3. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? So the question for us, is there ever a time when God is not faithful? I mean, no matter what man does or how man responds, is there ever a point in time when God is not faithful? Yes or no? That's right. No. And that's what he answers, right? Paul answers his own question. Verse 4. Certainly not. I mean, that is not what it's about. Okay, so there were those that were unbelievers, that had all that they had, they had all the privilege, they had the word of God, they were in covenant with God, they had the relationships with the rituals that God had given them, but they never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And when the opportunity came, they rejected him. Did this surprise God? No. 
Does it mean that God will no longer keep his promises to the nation of Israel? No. The misunderstanding really is on how a Jewish saved. A Jew is saved the same way a Gentile is saved. By faith, through the grace of God. Same thing. It's not through leaning on or trusting in our heritage or our upcoming or our, up, our upbringing or our ethnicity or where we went to church or what Bible we have or what version. The Jew is saved the same way. Now, maybe you've heard that because the Jews rejected Jesus, that they were scattered and forsaken by God and God is done with them. And not only is that, but there's even a theology there, a teaching out there that says not only did God scatter and forsake the Jews, but he also took all of the promises that he had given to the Jews and now they are for the church. That God is really, really, really done with the Jew because of what they did to the Messiah. Do you know that's not biblical? We're going to get to that in many, many months when we get to Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. <laughs> but it, it, would be, it would then be saying that God is now no longer faithful to the promises that he gave. Oh, they were Christ rejectors, they say. They crucified Jesus Christ, and now, therefore, they're on their own. Now, wait a minute for a second. Who really crucified Jesus Christ? Was it a group of people? Was it an ethnic group of people? I mean, if it was an ethnic group of people, who gave the final say for Jesus to be crucified? Wasn't it Pilate? What was Pilate? An Italian? <laughs> Is it the Italians now? No. That's not about a group of people. You see, when you put it into a different context, do you understand what people are saying when they say things like that? So think about it for a second. Who really crucified Jesus? It's not about a race or an ethnic group of people. Sin crucified Jesus Christ. So let's take it one more step. Whose sin crucified Jesus Christ? That's right. It was my sin and it was your sin. We're held responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. He died for our sins. This, this whole wave of anti-Semitism, we've looked at it in previous studies in Genesis, is from the very pit of hell. God is not done with the Jewish people. There will be a time very soon where he turns attention again to the Jewish people, <coughs> pours out his spirit upon them, and many will believe. The death of Jesus Christ was the determined plan of God. The Jews didn't crucify Jesus. That's not what God's word said. God gave his son out of love to a hopeless creation. Yes, Israel rejected their Messiah, but God knew it all along. It didn't take him by surprise. And so what about their unbelief then? What about their failure? And it brings up the question to us today, can God use failure? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. Let me just bring it home a little bit closer. Can God use your failure? Yes. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Let me show you something. Just a few pages over to the right. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to go out and be a failure now. <laughs> so I'm just going to fail because God can use failure. I'm talking about the kind of believer that's seeking the things of God, that really wants what's best from God, that really wants to obey God, but instead finds himself stumbling into sin, making mistakes. Isn't the flesh just so ugly? I hate my flesh. I hate it. I hate it more and more. I need to reckon the old man dead because the old man keeps showing up in my house, in my life. I'm, I just, I, I can't stand when I stumble in my flesh. It just, man, you could just be doing so well, so well, so well, and bam, your flesh shows up. Like, where'd you, who could let you in? I thought the door was closed, you know? And so listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know the verse, but I just want you to see it. 
And, and you know, for some of you, Romans 8.28 really is a precious, wonderful passage because it's not just theory. You have lived this verse. You are living it right now. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you love God? Yeah, yes you do. Do those that are called, are you called? Yes, you are. We've already looked at that according to his purpose. And I have a lot of things underlined in my Bible. I have a lot of things highlighted, a lot of different colors. But in this verse, one thing, I have the word all circled. Because I need to remember that at times. I really need to remember it when God begins to work all things together. That there are heavy duty things that are going to come into my life. Sometimes I'm going to bring them upon myself by my own mistakes and my own tragic sinful tendencies in my flesh. Sometimes they're going to be brought down by other people. But God is going to work all things together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Some of you, that's all you're in church for today is to be reminded that God's working all things together. Oh, I don't want God to work all things together. I want my own thing. Well, he's going to work that together too. <laughs> And he's going to continue to passionately pursue you in love and grace because he loves you. And he sent his only begotten son for you. Flip over to Genesis now, chapter 50, way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 50, the story of Joseph. I give that to you today as homework. Go home and read the story of Joseph. Look at his life. How sad it was for Joseph. It didn't go too well for this kid. Just wanted to be a good son. You know, he's a little bit of a rat. Rats on his brothers. He pays for it. And then he goes through all sorts of things that, man, I mean, it would bury a person. It would crush a person. It would absolutely destroy a person that didn't know Jesus Christ, didn't have a relationship with God. This is often called Genesis 50, 20, that Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. So you got one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Listen, verse 20, chapter 50, Genesis. But as for you, he's speaking to his brothers now as everything's coming together. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You might want to circle that. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God's going to work all things together for those of you that love him. Your situation isn't hopeless. You're not left on this earth helpless. And what about the unbelief of the Jew? Does that mean God's not faithful anymore? No way. What about your unbelief? Does that mean God's not faithful anymore? No way. As a matter of fact, just in case anyone would ever think that, besides this here in Romans, Paul would tell young Timothy, even when we are faithless, God, he remains faithful. You know, in Psalm 51 here, in, back in Romans chapter 3, when he says in verse 4, certainly not, indeed let God be true, but every man a liar as it is written. That's Psalm 51. That you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Psalm 51, David writes it after he's busted for his sin. You remember, we went through it not too long ago. David made a series of very seriously bad decisions, serious sins, horrible things. And he kept living his life as if he got away with it. He wasn't exposed, and so he continued to live like, hey, I'm a righteous king, I'm a good man, everything's taken care of, everything's covered. But then God speaks to a man by the name of Nathan, and Nathan comes to him and begins to tell him that story. Remember the story? It's about the little lamb, it gets stolen, upset, and you can almost hear, if it was a movie, you can hear the music, -na -na -na, the little lamb, and David, it starts to a crescendo, -na -na -na, and David says, I want that man, that man, yeah, that 
tell me who he is. He's done. I'm taking care of him. And then you can see there was a big, big pregnant pause there. And Nathan looked at him and said what? You are that man. Let's pause there just for a second. I hope you have somebody in your life that you allow to come to you, tell you a sweet little story, get you all riled up, and then say, you are that man. You are that woman. You need to have people in your life that can get that close, that can look you in the eye and tell you the truth because even though you don't want to hear the truth, even though you don't want to live in the truth, even though you want to go and do your own thing, that you need to hear the truth because the truth will set you free. Well, we've been in the book of Romans today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Not long ago, we put this together with you in mind. And there you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. Once again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app, Do a search for Calvary Aurora and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make for a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can make a secure donation to the ministry online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, in today's lesson, we learn God can use even the failure in our lives. So if someone listening right now has blown it big time and they're finding it hard to recover and move on, what would you like to say to them as we close? Well, if you're listening to this broadcast, as Larry mentioned, and failure is a part of your life, I know that it's very difficult for you to hear that God can even use your failure. So I just want to acknowledge that in your life. I know failure's hard. It's difficult. None of us really want to fail, and not many of us see the value in failure until you look back on a few of them and you say, oh, I can see how God used that. So the first thing I would want you to do is to turn to the Lord today and choose to trust Him. Uh, If you're a believer, of course, then you have Jesus Christ dwelling in you by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And so obey God and come to him. If your failure was a sinful failure, repent from it. Uh, Exercise not condemnation, but godly sorrow and repent and ask God to forgive you of your sins and then by faith receive it. If your failure wasn't a sinful failure, but it was, you know, a mistake that you made, or you might have lost a job or a relationship failure, then make things right. Um, You know, knowing that even though you might have failed, we learn to fail. I think it was John Maxwell that said, we learn how to fail forward. And we, we don't get stuck in the pain that we're in, but rather we move forward by faith, trusting God. I know failure's hard. I've had quite a few failures in my life. I expect to have quite a few more, but I've also met the God that supersedes failure, the God that loves me, the God who reaches out to me in deep, 
uh, love, mercy, and grace. And that God that I worship is the same God that you have the privilege of worshiping. So go to him now, and let me just pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are reeling from failure, um, those that might be wrestling with condemnation, those that might be just overwhelmed with maybe their failures cause them to think that they're a failure, but they're not. They are a person that made a mistake, a person that chose to sin perhaps, and a person that through the right response can find themselves in a whole real relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more thing, Larry, before we go. On our app, so if you go to your app store and search with the phrase Ed Taylor, both of our free apps will come up. On our church app, there is a series of studies on the homepage called Dealing With Your Past. And this would be very good when in the realm of failure to listen to these studies, especially the ones on condemnation and what do I do with my past. Very powerful. They're all free. And we love to see you grow from this and not be un- overwhelmed by your failure, but to see God use it in your life. Remember, friend, God can use failure, including your own. We'll see you next time when our series in Romans resumes on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.